0: With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips, insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman, here again with our good bishop, answering our questions. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to see you. Yes. Anybody's welcome to ask questions. I, I love it that you're you're willing to answer them. A lot of times we're coming up with the topics, you know, between the two of us or whatever. Uh, but this one comes from Rekindle the Fire. You did a QA and a there and weren't able to get to all of the questions. So one of the men wrote, Some have speculated that the current anti-Christian culture is a sign of the end times. Does this concern you? What, how should a Catholic prepare?
1: Great question. But I'm always cautious about talking about when the end of the world will be. Uh I think people living at the time of the fall of the Roman Empire thought it was going to be, that was the end of the world. and This has recurred throughout history when there's been really troubled times. There's the idea, oh, are these the end times is, or like is this
0: the year 2000 right. and then was it 2012 with the Mayan calendar or something like yeah, that? And yeah, yeah like, there's, It there's keeps happening. Yeah. Right.
1: So I think we'd be very careful. I mean, Jesus himself said, no one knows the date yeah. or the hour. Only the father knows when the last judgment, when Jesus will come again. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? This is a mystery. We do know that at the end, our Lord will come again in glory and he'll pronounce the final word on all history There will be a final judgment. At the end of time, the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. And we speak, you know, of a new heaven and a new earth. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death Mm -hmm. shall be no more. All this is in scripture. So we look forward really to that where, you know, the new Jerusalem, and this is going to affect not only humans, but the whole material world. There will be a transformation of the world. And, There'll be no more death. So I think it is something that's definitely part of our faith. And when the Lord comes again, he'll judge the living and the dead. We profess that in the Apostles' Creed. So I think these are fundamental teachings that we adhere to. I think where the problem comes sometimes is interpreting certain biblical passages, you know, so some errors can creep in. Mm -hmm. This is the area of eschatology, the end, eschaton, In Greek, means the end, so this is the study of the end times. Obviously, we talk about heaven, hell, and purgatory, but also the final judgment. I think sometimes when it looks at, okay, are these signs, that's what the question was about, Mm -hmm. signs that the end of the world is coming, the church does talk about this in the catechism. It's an interesting Ah. paragraph that I'd like to read. It's paragraph 675 and following, but especially number 675, the church says, Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. Hmm. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-Messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. Now, if you look at the footnotes to that paragraph, mm-hmm. there's various footnotes from the Gospels, from St. Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, and of course, the book of Revelation. Uh-huh. When we continue in number 676, it says the Antichrist's deception already begins to take shape in the world every time the claim is made to realize within history that messianic hope, which can only be realized beyond history through the eschatological judgment. The church has rejected even modified forms of this falsification of the kingdom, to come under the name of millenarianism, especially the intrinsically perverse political form of a secular messianism. Now,
0: can I get a definition
1: of millenarianism? Please. (laughs) Yeah. There's a passage in the book of revelation where it talks about a thousand year reign
0: of Christ.
1: Yeah. And it's in, I believe it's chapter 20. Let me, let me look here where it talks about the final battle and the coming of the Lord. And it talks about how, well, let me read. This is chapter 20. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a heavy chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, which is the devil or Satan, and tied it up for a thousand years and threw it into the abyss, which he locked over it and sealed so that it could no longer lead the nations astray until the thousand years are completed. After that it is to be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones. Those who sat on them were entrusted with judgment. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, nor had accepted its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were over. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over these. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for the thousand years. It goes on, but let me just say that this led to, I mean, even in the early church, there were different thoughts of different fathers of the church about how to interpret this. I mean, Origen and Saint Justin Martyr, Saint Irenaeus, Saint Augustine, etc. So there were a lot of discussion of this, and it really comes to be called millenarianism. And some believe that there is going to be a literal reign of a thousand years here on earth before the Lord's coming, second coming. But really, the church has rejected that. This is really symbolic. Mm-hmm but even now i mean look at the seventh day adventists and jehovah witnesses mormons they all advocate a form of millenarianism but this is not part of the catholic faith and even i remember john paul warning catholics of the dangers of this i think it was like you said leading up to the, the celebration of the millennium mm-hmm. year 2000 so we look forward to, obviously, to the victory, final victory of Christ, and we, we live in hope, but we don't believe that there is going to be kind of a uh, literal thousand-year reign, uh, that, that heresy of millenarianism. So we do believe that at the end of the world, Christ will come in glory to pronounce judgment. We do believe that, We can't know when that's going to be, but that all the dead will rise again on the last day with their bodies. When it comes to the appearance of the Antichrist, there's all kinds of ideas about, well, is this a definite human personality that's the instrument of Satan? You know, there's some various views on what the Antichrist means. When we know that when you read the letters of St. John, he talks about the Antichrist, he uses the plural, And he's talking about false teachers. We've always seen antichrists in that sense, false Mm -hmm. teachers. But there's something of a mystery about what is going to happen that we really don't know. That section in the catechism, which talks about the church's ultimate trial, you know, that we do believe that um, this pseudo messianism where people glorify themselves in place of God, that is there in the catechism. So the idea that, do you see signs of that today? I think so, mm-hmm. but I think we've seen it in past centuries as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, false messiahs, people like Adolf Hitler, sure. you could speak of as an antichrist. So there are these intrinsically per- perverse political forms of, of messianism. So we know that there will be some kind of a final Passover and that there would be a final trial so to speak. Persecution. You know, I think that's why, you know, you see some of those signs today. Does that mean, oh yeah, the end of the world is imminent? No, because these things have happened in history before. But the point is, maybe. Mm -hmm. So that means be prepared, you know. The forces of death will rise against the author of life. We know that. And the son of man will come. There's some kind of a final battle, Armageddon, you read about in Revelation. We have that that traditional hymn used to be sung often at funerals, the Diaz-Ire. It's still in the Liturgy of the Hours for the last week of the liturgical year, the day which speaks of the Day of Wrath, Dies ire mm. That day, a day of trembling, etc., a day of judgment. Now, that's in poetry, but we see this ref- reference to the Day of the Lord, both the Old and the New Testaments. In some cases, it's portrayed as a day of terror and judgment, hmm. but they also speak of it as a purification. And it's really a day of vindication and reward also for those who've loved the Lord. Right. So there's a judgment to condemnation, but there's also a judgment to salvation. So I don't know. It's uh it's a lot of this is still shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh something that we should always keep in mind of in in the church's liturgy. It's usually the end of the liturgical year where you see prayers and readings that kind of highlight this mm-hmm. also in the beginning early part of Advent as well. Okay. So The resurrection of all the dead is a dogma of our faith of both the just and the unjust and that will proceed the last judgment and then the last judgment takes place and when Christ returns in glory. So given all that background,
0: if I could come back to the question and kind of split it up into a few things. One thing that the person that asked the question said, some have speculated that the current anti-Christian culture is a sign of end times. Do you think the current anti-Christian Christian culture is worse now than it has been in the past? And when I read about you know, the persecution of Christians, and the, I know there's there's still persecution today, and, and in some cases it's, it's gotten really bad. Do you think it's worse now than it was in the past?
1: I think persecution is bad in many countries. I don't know if it is, I wouldn't say it's as bad as it was in the first couple centuries of the church, especially the first and second century. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that are, very disturbing. I think of kind of re- like we were talking in one of our other episodes about things like gender ideology, this rejection of God as the creator. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure that there was that kind of wholesale, you know, thing. I mean, there were evil things going on in other epics of history. There's been genocides. There mm-hmm. was abortion in the ancient world, etc. So we see some of these horrendous things that have taken place in history i i would say nowadays though we see in some ways all of this coming together mm-hmm. in a way with secularism and relativism yeah. kind of a rejection of even the not only the the value of human life but also the differentiation between the sexes there's rejection of of marriage would be in according to god's plan mm-hmm. so There is a lot of things that I could see why people might think, okay, these are signs of Mm -hmm. the end times. I just would always be cautious because we just don't know. Right. And I think if we try to focus on that too much, we can get distracted. We should always be prepared for the second coming of the Lord, whenever it might be.
0: Okay. So that was the third part of the question. I'll jump back to the second later, but the third part was what, or how should Catholics prepare?
1: think every day. I mean, I think it's just living in union with the Lord and not succumbing to the lies. I mean, in our baptismal promises, we reject Satan, all his works and all his empty promises. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the father of lies. Um, and we are, I mean, so many are gullible and they are believing these lies, like the lies about gender. Mm -hmm. Or the lies about, against the dignity of human life. The lies that, for example, the lie that a child in the womb doesn't have value. Mm -hmm. Or the lie that I can choose for myself whether I'm going to be male or female. Or the lie that marriage can be between two people of the same sex. Or, I mean, we can look at, these are all lies. Mm -hmm. These all go against the truth of creation. The truth of revelation. So, I think it's becoming more difficult. I think what the danger today is the anti culture. It's it's not even good, I don't think, to call it a culture of death because it's it's really an anti culture of death. Because I mean you could speak of it either way, but but the idea is, you know, we are to be a people for life and that God is the author of life. He is love. Yeah. These are and all these things that go against life are going against love. They're also rebellion against the Creator. It goes back to the original sin, doesn't it? It was a rebellion against Adam and Eve. I mean of Adam and Eve against God, the Creator, and they lost paradise. And therefore it's kind of like, okay, what what is the fundamental sin here? It's pride. Okay. I can I can decide for myself. Right. I can define marriage, I can define gender, I can define life. No, you know, that's, you know, we have to respect our creator. I mean, thankfully, you know, we all have hope because Christ has come to save us from, I mean, he is the truth. Mm -hmm. So we need to, you know, believe in the truth, accept the truth and, not succumb to the falsehoods.
0: So the second part of it was, does this concern you? All this talk of end times and and an anti-Christian culture, does this
1: concern you? It does. I mean, it calls us for more heroic faith, I think. I think it calls us to bear witness to Christ and the truths of the gospel in a way that is more difficult. Because there will be more criticism, rejection, ridicule, mm. etc., for standing up for what is right and good. But we were kind of we, promised that. We were promised right? that. Yep. I, I, I mean, that's what the apostles did. There, there are a lot of parallels to. I, I often think about what it was like for those first Christians in a hostile culture, mm. but yet they converted it. I yeah. mean, that's amazing. I mean they they converted that culture of the Roman Empire, and they did it by love. I mean I mean so many were martyred, but they impressed I mean so many pagans were impressed. They would say, look at how these Christians love one another. Right. You know, they wouldn't sacrifice their babies. They wouldn't, you know, they would, would not participate, for example, in those cruel gladiatorial contests where people were you know, the killing of people was in entertainment mm-hmm. in the Colosseum and other arenas. No, the Christians said no to those things. Yeah they respected human life and dignity and, and so they were you, persecuted for it. And they were persecuted for it and many martyred. So I do see those parallels for sure mm-hmm. to what's going on today.
0: And what's the quote? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of Christians. Christianity. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Tertullian. Yeah. Second century. The end times. Yeah. I, I, uh, perhaps. So
0: you won't be holding a cardboard sign that says the end is near. No, I don't think so. Okay. Because I don't know. Right. <laughs> We've been saying that for a long time.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, who knows? But it is a call. I mean, I think to, I think it is good that we do reflect at the end of the spiritual year, especially, and in Advent on the second coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. But we do so not with pessimism or not with despair. It's right. always with, he comes as the savior. Jesus comes, yes, to judge the living and the dead. and the important thing is that we be mindful of the judgment and not just presume on God's mercy, but at the same time that we not fall into that opposite sin of despair. Mm-hmm. No, hope is is true Christian hope. And when one has hope, one can, uh, one also has joy mm-hmm. and one can therefore endure the uh, the cross that we must carry in being faithful to the Lord. And- we should be humble. In other words, we need to admit where we're where we're not furthering the growth of the kingdom of God, mm. but where we might be doing things that kinda of hinder that growth. That's what mm. sin does. You know, what kind of example are we setting for our neighbors? I mean, we can be standing up for the truth about marriage or about life and all of that, mm. but it has to be the witness of our love at the same time. Right. And we can turn people off from the truth by our lack of charity or by anger or whatever. So that's where it's, it, we have to be careful. We need to be humble and we need to show the compassion of Christ to those who are in error mm. or maybe in error. Yeah.
0: If we do all of these great things, but we haven't loved. Then Lose our
1: souls. Yeah. Right. Right. Truth and Charity, the name of this program, you know, is, is so key. I mm-hmm. mean, y- y- we can't have one without the other. Yeah. There's a wonderful quote of Pope Benedict XVI in his encyclical letter, Caritas in Veritate. And he said, and I quote, only in truth does charity shine forth. Only in truth can charity be, charity be authentically lived. Truth is the light that gives meaning and value to charity. That light is both the light of reason and the light of faith, through which the intellect attains to the natural and supernatural truth of charity. It grasps its meaning as gift, acceptance, and communion. Without truth, charity degenerates into sentimentality. Love becomes an empty shell to be filled in an arbitrary way. he does say in this homily, truth and love are inseparable because love without truth would be blind. Truth without love would be like a clanging cymbal. So Hmm. I don't know if you recall when Pope Benedict was elected in a homily that he gave, it was either at John Paul's funeral that when he gave this famous homily Hmm. or it was early on. But he talked about how truth and love are inseparable. And he said, love without truth would be blind. Mm. Truth without love would be like, like a clanging symbol. Mm. So I love yeah. this about uh, Pope Benedict. He preached really the gospel of love in truth. Mm. So that when we defend the truth, that's a form of loving it's only in truth that charity can be authentically lived. So it really was pretty, uh, pretty strong theme of his. And it, ultimately he said in, in the confusion of our world, he, he said, the church needs to be bold in its proclamation of the truth and with love. And he, he taught that truth and love coincide in Christ mm-hmm. because there we see he is the truth. And He showed us love unto the end. So that must always go together. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop. If anybody has any questions that they'd like to submit, you can go to Spokestreet.com slash askbishop. There's a form there that you can fill out. And perhaps that'll be in an episode. We actually have a bunch of questions still from the Rekindle of the Fire. So we'll try to work through those as well. Right. Uh, Before we go, though, could we get your Episcopal
1: blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It was engineered by Nicole Rudolph, produced by Miriam Schmitz, and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media.